The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. A couple of things to share with y'all this morning. Pray for Gary and Bev as they have headed to Pine Cove for him to teach this week and as they've visited with folks in Youth Center and are looking at next steps for the next trial for him. And some really good news, Temple Bible Church added to our staff family this morning as Brandon and Sarah Brewer are celebrating the healthy delivery of their fourth child, baby Eliza. So we are grateful for that. I... uh, I was really glad Brandon told me I could share that with you because I'm preaching on anger, and if he had said no and I'd still shared it, he would have been angry, so that would have not been good. We've been talking all summer long about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and so we want to walk in wisdom as it relates to all kinds of things in life, in all of life indeed. And so today, how do we bring the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom, to the subject of anger? Because we, we live in an age of outrage, as one author calls it. Now, that might seem astounding and like this is the only one, but apparently they come about every 50 years. When I think about history, though, I think, goodness, what would good and kind men like Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr think of how angry we get? See, we live in an age where a lot of people are angry about a lot of things, and anger in and of itself is not necessarily sin, depending on what we're angry about or why we're angry, we're told in our anger not to sin, but then anger can be sin, and among a broken people as we all are, it tends to be, and still we love a good anger story. If you think about movies of the last 50 years, some of the most highly successful films have been great anger stories. Some of you older than me are old enough to remember a movie called Raging Bull. It was an anger story. More recently, there are films like Fight Club or Revenant, or one of my favorites is Denzel Washington's Man on Fire. And then Gladiator, where the gladiator, the general, becomes a slave and He's there fighting as a gladiator with a hidden identity, and the evil new emperor Commodus comes against or comes to him, and he wants to find out who this gladiator is, and he won't take his mask off. And he says, Slave, remove your mask, reveal your identity. And he says, I am Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, and loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius father of a murdered son, husband of a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And man, we love a good anger story. Then, of course, there is the Oscar-worthy performance in a love story where one of the side characters is searching for the man who killed his father, that six-fingered man. And he says those epic words, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. We love a good anger story. And listen, the reason that we do isn't always bad. There's a sense in which we should love these stories. We are born with an innate sense of justice because we are made in the image of God who is just. That's why we get angry, really angry when people are doing something that is wrong to us or someone else. 
Because we're made in the image of a God who is just, and we want justice to be done, and that's not wrong. But God condemns wrath and malice and bitterness. And the reason He does is not because it's wrong to want justice, but what we end up doing is believing that vengeance belongs to us instead of the Lord. That's where we're headed this morning. We end up believing that vengeance belongs to us instead of the Lord. In fact, this anger that's not always bad, it's really kind of an evidence for God when you stop and think about it. Agnostics, atheists really have have no reason to be angry. There is no sense of justice. Now, some will argue, no, 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 that's not true. We have value in and of ourselves, innate, and and we're really basically good people. But the problem with that is that there are a lot of people who just aren't that good and who do really, really bad things. And the most common argument against that is, well, right, but if we could just educate people, they wouldn't do bad anymore. However, there are people like Thomas Gilbert Jr., who was a highly educated individual. You see his dad, Thomas Gilbert Sr., next to him. Thomas Gilbert Jr. has a degree from Princeton. He was 30 years old, January 4th, 2015, and Thomas Gilbert Jr. got angry as a highly educated individual. See, here's where anger goes awry. Though we're made in the image of God, who is just, we get angry about all kinds of things that aren't necessarily wrong, like Thomas Gilbert Jr. did. At 30 years old, his dad thought it was time for him to become more responsible. After all, he was a Princeton grad. So what his dad said is, we're going to stop paying your rent, and we're going to decrease your allowance from $1,000 a month to $300 a month. And Thomas Gilbert Jr. got angry. So angry, in fact, that he called his mom on the morning of January 4th and said, Mom, I'm going to come over and visit y'all in about an hour. Would you run and get me a Diet Coke? And so she went out of their apartment, and Thomas Gilbert Jr. was hiding right by the entrance, hooded, and he went in their apartment and put the suicide note that he has written for his dad right next to his father and shot him in the head and killed him and left. See, his anger got the best of him. He got angry, like we often get angry. And controlled by his anger, the irony is, his rent still is paid, but he's not getting his allowance, as he does 25 years to life. So what does Proverbs tell us about anger and how do we walk in the fear of the Lord as it relates to anger? Well, let's look at the Scripture and pray together and then talk about these things. Just a few of the passages in Proverbs that relate to anger. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger, so we're always going to have anger and we will get angry, but whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, or your translation might say, controls his temper than he who takes a city. You're more powerful than the mighty if you're slow to anger. And, and if you rule your spirit or control your temper, stronger than the one who takes a city. Proverbs twenty twenty two. do not say, I will repay evil. When evil is done to you, don't say, I will repay this. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, 
He or she whom you would be angry with, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Well, God, we have all, probably in one sense or another, have all kinds of things to be angry about. But Father, we want to walk in your wisdom as it relates to anger. We want to walk in your wisdom as it relates to anger. So God, help us to do that. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do we do with our anger? Well, the first thing is, is don't take your anger lightly. Don't take your anger lightly. You might think, well, yeah, I get angry, but I've never murdered anyone. But Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who is angry will be liable to judgment. I was... 12 years old, and I shared this one time when I was speaking to some ladies in, in prison in Gatesville, and I wanted to share with them about the anger I had struggled with. I was 12 years old, my dad was in an adulterous relationship, my parents were divorcing, I felt like my world was falling apart, and I was angry, and all that anger was directed toward my dad. And I told these ladies, I said, so, so here's the scenario, my dad was sleeping, and I would get a knife and go stand over my sleeping dad and stab him over and over and over in my mind. I never actually did that, but man, it was in my heart. Man, it was in my mind. I was so angry. And I was talking to these ladies, some who were there for dealing drugs, some for armed robbery, a couple who were there for murder, and one of them came up to me as I shared about my anger and said, I really appreciate you telling me about how angry you were, because I didn't think about how anger can impact you. I dealt meth, but I never thought about killing anybody. I didn't feel better about myself when she said that. See... You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And man, I'm so glad I didn't. Not because you'll be liable for judgment though, but see, everybody who's angry with his brother as I was angry with my father is liable for judgment. So what do we do? What do we do? The first thing we do is acknowledge our anger. Acknowledge our anger. I think there are three things you could remove from society in the U.S., and we wouldn't deal with anger anymore. The first of those is social media. If we just took social media away, probably nobody would be angry, right? The second, and this one is the one that's the oddest to me, is cable news. We've all got our channel, and we like it, and it makes us angry because here's the deal. We're the product of cable news, not not those advertising products. We're the product that cable news sells to advertisers. And nuanced argument and complex argument isn't really going to get viewers because we don't think that's really exciting. We want extremes. And so the more viewers you get, the more advertisers you get. And we just get angry. And then the third is cars. Not my car. Everybody else's. 
specifically the car in front of me, the car beside me, and the car behind me. I would like a button on my car when those three cars do the wrong thing. I just press that button and boom, they're just gone. (laughs) See, social media, cable news, and cars, I think anger would be solved, right? But it, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. We've all got anger. We've all got anger. There's a a clip from one of the Avengers movies that kind of describes this. The Avengers are hoping that Dr. Bruce Banner, also known as the Incredible Hulk, is going to show up. And here it is. Dr. Banner, now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. See, isn't that the secret? We're actually always angry. Not that we're actually always angry, but there's anger within us. Some of us, because horrible things have been done to us, said about us, or to those that we love and care for. And it's always there, just waiting to bubble up. And we've got to acknowledge it. We've got to acknowledge it. Some would say, oh no, I never get angry. Well, I think you're a liar. See, I just made you angry, right? (laughs) Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So anger is going to come, and in our anger we're told not to sin, but we ought to be slow to anger. A mark of maturity is that we are not easily offended. Why should we be slow to anger? Because we're broken. We think we get anger against other sins right, but we so often get it wrong, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Don't be angry, be meek. Put these things away. Anger won't produce God's righteousness in you. See, James says later that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, not by those who are angry, but by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, but the anger of man will not produce the righteousness of God, so put these things away. Filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's what anger produces. And you say, Chase, it's easy to talk about, but it's hard to do. Indeed, it is. We don't just acknowledge our anger, but we've really got to surrender our anger. We've got to surrender our anger. Pastor and theologian and also grandfather of Aaron Burr, Jonathan Edwards, said the real strength of the good soldier of Jesus Christ is simply the steadfast maintenance of a holy calmness. Sustained amidst all the storms, injuries, wrong behavior, and unexpected acts and events in this evil and unreasonable world that in the midst of brokenness and anger and harshness and abuse and awful things, there's this holy calmness. Not that we're not angry, but that our angry, that our anger is surrendered to God, that we're trusting Him even in the midst of storms, injuries, wrong behavior, in an evil and unreasonable world, we would surrender our anger. Why? Because when we walk in anger, 
when we let it control us, when we don't surrender our anger, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that we lose our standing in Christ. We're still His. We're always His. It's by His grace. But we grieve His Spirit according to, according to Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. How do you not grieve the Spirit of God? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, that's the key. There is this assumption on Paul's part that we as brothers and sisters in Christ if we are going to not grieve the Spirit and not walk in anger, that we're going to have to be kind, that we're going to have to be tenderhearted, that we're going to have to forgive not just anybody, but brothers and sisters in Christ who've harmed us as God in Christ forgave you. I can remember, I can remember many, many years ago when someone in my family had again really made me angry. And I can remember how I was impacting, how I was acting toward Laura, toward my kids. I'd just come on staff at TBC. And someone had deceived and lied and defrauded, and it was going to hurt us and hurt some other folks in our family. And I can remember thinking through my own bitterness and going, okay, well, the Scripture says it's a value for a person to overlook an offense, so I could do that, but this is a big offense. I'm not overlooking it. I'm upset. I can walk in bitterness, but this doesn't seem to be going very well right now. I could seek reconciliation, but I know this person well enough to know they're, they're not acknowledging they're wrong. They're not willing to acknowledge they're wrong. There's not going to be reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two parties. Forgiveness takes one. So without overlooking the offense and knowing there's great harm, I can say, whatever this costs me, I'm going to lay it down. And if you know me, you know there's no way in the world I would do that. I'd love to still be angry about that today. But I can't. Something happened. And, and all I can tell you is that the Spirit of God and the grace of God, while my wife and I were driving down a country road in southwest Louisiana, just let me be free of that anger. Let me be free of that anger. I didn't know why. I still really don't, other than something I remembered from far back in my past that had to do with Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. When I was in college, I was interning at a church in Beaumont, Texas, and I was traveling with our youth choir that summer, sharing the gospel as the choir would sing. And one night, a young lady got up to share before I was going to share. Her name was Ashley Holsey. She was a sophomore in high school. And Ashley Holsey... And she had a hard story. But it was a story that was beautiful and full of forgiveness. See, Ashley, about six years before, her dad had been a police officer. And he got a call that there was a stolen Corvette parked outside a motel in Beaumont. And so he went to check on that call. And what he didn't know is that inside that hotel room was a man who had killed a couple of ladies in New Mexico and was fleeing there. And so when he knocked on the door... The guy shot through the door and killed her dad. So nobody 
was going to be there as dad to take prom pictures. Her dad wasn't going to walk her down the aisle when she got married. That was robbed from her. And Ashley told the story about being in eighth grade in her Bible class, and the teacher is reading Ephesians and gets to this part. And put aside all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, let them be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I remember Ashley standing on that stage in tears saying, I just ran out of that class because I knew my sins had killed Jesus Christ and He forgave me. And I had to forgive the man who killed my father. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it on my own. But by the grace of God, I was able to, and she began to write letters to this guy who killed her dad, letting him know that she forgave him and that God would forgive him if he would trust Christ. See, she surrendered her anger. You think about Thomas Gilbert Jr., who a lot of people would say won the lottery with the dads, and his allowance was decreased, so he killed his father, versus the power of God at work in the life of Ashley Holsey. And I remember thinking about Ashley's forgiveness and going, yeah, this is so foolish. And some of you right now have had great harm done to you. And even as we talk about this today, you just think there's no way. There's just no way. But hear me, it's not overlook the offense, it's forgive. We look at those vengeance stories like Gladiator, Man on Fire. And we think, right, but that didn't happen. Vengeance didn't happen for the things done to me. And I'm going to argue, actually, that it did. It did. We surrender our anger and we trust God's vengeance. We trust God's vengeance. See, vengeance was taken on the sins against you or it will be. Here's the truth about every sin ever committed in the history of the world. Either... Jesus bore the wrath of the sins committed against you if they were committed by someone who has come to trust Christ or will come to trust Christ. All those sins, the full-bore wrath of God against those sins, Jesus Christ took upon Himself and vengeance for those sins was laid upon Him. Along with vengeance for your sins and my sins if we're in Christ. Or... Or those sins, if people who committed them are not repentant, if they don't flee from the wrath of God and turn to Jesus, those sins are going to be punished far greater than you or I could ever punish them for all eternity in hell, separated from God, where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. Some of you come into this place and you're concerned about the sins done against you, but you've not thought about the sins done by you that put Jesus Christ on the cross. And right now, John 3 would say that you remain under the wrath of God if you do not believe. But God, in His love, He'll take you from being His enemy and call you His child. See, that's why we surrender our anger because God laid His anger upon His own Son. And Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
So we trust God's vengeance. So the writer of Proverbs says, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and He will deliver you. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, I've told you all about my grandma who used to like to quote things from the Bible that weren't actually in the Bible. She also used to like to take verses and just take them grossly out of context, and this was one of her favorites. If your enemy's hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. When you do, you heap coals on his head. And she's thinking, let's heap some coals on their head, right? We'll give it. If this is the way God says to give it to them, we'll give it to them and we'll put those coals on their head. This is going to burn them up. That's not actually what the writer of Proverbs or Paul, when he quotes him, is saying. There are one or two things that, that Solomon is alluding to here. One would have been an Egyptian repentance ritual. So Egyptians had this repentance ritual that predates Solomon that when someone had done wrong and they wanted to repent of their wrong or turn from their wrong, they would take a basket of coals and they would put it on their heads in a ceremony of repentance and they would walk through this ceremony with coals on their heads saying, I repent. The other is that we hear over and over and over in the Hebrew Scriptures in our Old Testament of repenting in dust and ashes. We repent in dust and ashes. So what the writer of Proverbs is saying here and what Paul is saying is we're going to look at in a moment is if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink for you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. You may be the person God uses to bring them to repentance. Your love in the midst of their sin against you may be what God uses to bring them to repentance, for them to see the wickedness of their sin and turn from it. Well, how in the world do we do this? We've got to be transformed. This is not natural. We want people to pay for their sins. We just don't want to pay for ours. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Our mind has to be changed. It has to be renewed by the Spirit and the Word of God. We have to surrender it to Jesus because Jesus said if, if anyone would come after me, he must renounce everything he has, including our anger. We, we lay it down. Our sinful anger we lay down. So that by testing, you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, Paul goes on to describe how that will of God is played out in Romans 12. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Well, listen, you may try to live peaceably with someone, and they won't give you peace back. And you can't control that, but as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. And if Gary were here with us today, he would ask, you know what the Greek word for never means? Never. Man, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice if Paul had just said, hey, most of the time, don't avenge yourself. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For 
by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil like Thomas Gilbert Jr. and many, many more we know have been. But overcome evil with good. We overcome evil with good because we recognize that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Romans 5 describes that like this. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, don't miss that. There couldn't be any stronger word. We, apart from Christ, were the enemies of God. If you're apart from Christ, the Bible would describe you as the enemy of God. For while we were His enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So vengeance is taken and it's put upon His Son so that you can go and I can go from being enemy to children. Adopted into His family. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. This beautiful ministry of reconciliation. That's what we've received. So now we go and instead of acting on our anger, we lay our lives down and we seek to be reconcilers. We seek to be reconcilers. Now it's hard, it's difficult, it's bloody. It means we lay our life down. Several years ago, I was in Rwanda with a couple of guys from our staff and our leadership and we were doing a conference with some brothers and sisters from Rwanda. And together we were doing a justice conference for local government leaders, church leaders, people who had been harmed and were seeking justice. And as we talked, there was a time for questions, and there's this beautiful young lady there, and she raises her hand, and she begins to describe this horrible, horrible person who has done awful things to her and awful things to others in her village. And she said, now he went to prison, but his prison sentence is up, and he's back in my village, and I have to look at him every day. And you want me to forgive this man? You want me to forgive him? And I watched one of my brothers there who, though this young lady didn't know, had had horrible, horrible things done to him many years before by people in his own village who he would have thought were safe and could trust. And he looked at her and he said, I'm so, so sorry. And I can't imagine the pain that you have to deal with continuously. And I can't imagine what you're walking through and I wish it had never happened to you. But in our story, in the Christian story, what forgiveness looks like is this. It looks like a man naked and bleeding on a cross for the sins of others and even as they mock him, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness is painful and bloody and exactly what God calls us to. So in a moment, in a moment, our brothers and si- our brother and sisters are going to lead us in a song and I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask 
our elders and pastors and their spouses who are in here to come and be with me up front. And I just wonder, is there anger that you are hanging on to, that you know, you know has you bound up and you enslaved and is doing nothing really to the person you're angry at? And you just can't let go. And today would be a day where you say, I want to surrender that anger. Others of you, you're in this place and and as you've heard about your own personal anger, it makes you think about your own sinfulness and you don't know God. You're not in His family. You've not received the forgiveness that He offers and you need to come and put your trust in Him and hope in Him and we'd love to visit with you about that as well. See, we walk in the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom and the fear of the Lord would say, lay down your anger. Don't repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. That starts, that starts when we surrender. So would you stand and I'm going to pray and then I'll ask leaders to come. If there's things that you would lay down, you come. We'd love to pray with you or this place can be an altar where you can spend time with the Lord as well. Father, we thank You that all of Your anger was laid upon Your Son and He received it. He laid His life down of His own accord. God, I pray for brothers and sisters right now who are hurting deeply because of horrible things done to them. God, miraculously by Your Holy Spirit, would You, would you bring them to a place of being able to forgive? Would You bring them to a place of freedom? Would You have Your way with us, Lord? In Jesus' name. Amen. There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. You meet us in our mourning. With a love that casts out fear. working in our waiting you're sanctifying us when beyond our understanding you're teaching us to trust your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us you're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You are wisdom unimagined.
surrounding you uphold me and your promises are my delight your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us you're with us in the fire and the flood Sovereign over us Even what the enemy means for evil You turn it for our good You turn it for our good And for your glory Even in the valley you are faithful You're working for our good for our good and for your glory even what the enemy means for evil you turn it for our good you turn it for our good and for your glory even in the valley you are faithful you're working for our good you're working for our good and for your glory Your plans are still to prosper You have not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood You're faithful forever Perfect in love You are sovereign over us Faithful forever Perfect in love, you are sovereign Lord.